brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. Artificial intelligence and how we program machines used to belong to the realm of science fiction and people in white lab coats looking at complicated spreadsheets. But now technology has progressed so far that we have to start contemplating how AI can have a real impact on all our lives. What are the dangers of AI and how does it benefit society? In a special episode of the Agenda podcast recorded live at the AI Summit in London, we asked a panel of experts to explain to us exactly how AI will impact our lives in years to come. We're here at London's Excel Centre in front of a live audience to talk about artificial intelligence. What we want to find out, uh, firstly, is what AI is and also the journey it's taking us on. It is the stuff of fact and also science fiction. And we'll be asking how it's changing the way we live our lives and should we fear it? And can it ever become as intelligent as us humans or is it already overtaking us? Perhaps it could learn to self-improve, maybe even become self-aware. Uh, Stephen Hawking said famously, uh, the development of full artificial intelligence uh, could spell the end of the human race, who would also take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution wouldn't be able to compete and would be superseded. Well, there are bound to be tensions as AI replaces humans. The very real fear is that in the wrong hands, AI can go from super dumb to super smart in an instant. And talking of super smart, we have a panel packed with the brightest minds from pioneering enterprises, all sharing with us uh, their game-changing ideas. So let's meet them. And let's start with uh, Professor uh, Shafi Ahmed, uh, a very well-known face. Um, you are an award-winning uh, futurist, um, entrepreneur, uh, surgeon. Uh, how long, Shafi, before you are replaced by a robot in the operating theatre? So I would love to say that I could never be replaced, uh, Stephen, but I know that's actually not true. Let's take um, my role, what I do for a living, and think about how that could be replaced today, if not tomorrow. The first thing that I am is a diagnostician. I see patients, I embrace them, uh, introduce myself and then take a history examination to establish a diagnosis. That part already has been replaced by chatbots, algorithms like Babylon Health, uh, Ada as a chatbot, Sensely. We can actually ask a question, it responds back, and it gives you a better diagnosis because millions of information points to make that diagnosis. Secondly, we send patients then for images, x-rays, CTs, MRIs. That again is being replaced already because it's far more accurate. For example, a chest x-ray done today could be diagnosed much better by AI than two radiologists that are specialists. So already we're seeing the value and much more faster. The next part, of course, is the operation that we do. And uh, we're seeing a lot of robots coming into, uh, into practice now. And 2020 will be what I call the robot wars. A lot of robots are coming in became more affordable, more cheaper, more flexible, more sophisticated. The bit that I think we're struggling with is the human contact, the human interaction. Are we ready for this? What about the embrace that's required? 
the hand-holding for patients with bad news, with cancer. I'm a cancer specialist. I break bad news every week. What about that element? How do we change that paradigm of human contact? That's, that's a key question throughout AI, isn't it? The, the interaction between humans and machines. Uh, Dr. Alexandra Daisy Ginsberg, you are an artist who works with synthetic biologists. You've added what we call perhaps an extra branch to the tree of life. Would you like to see more robots or fewer robots? Well, I think that depends who owns the robots and what they're doing. So I think the key question with all these technologies, I've been working in synthetic biology for about 10 years and now started working with artificial intelligence and machine learning, is to really dive into the complexity of, the, of the, the topic at hand. There aren't simple answers to these questions of, you know, are robots good or bad? These are technologies that we're making and people own them and design them and use them and they affect different people in different ways. So in my work, I'm trying to find experimental ways to work with scientists and engineers and ethicists to actually open up those questions and make them more accessible and also try and delve into these topics that are so complex and don't yet have answers. Why do you think humans are so keen to create new life forms while perhaps neglecting the ones that already exist? Well, that's the big question that I don't know the answer to, which is what fascinates me so much. And that really gets to what it is to be human and what it is to make artificial life, whether it's made through biology or through digital sort of zeros and ones. Why do humans try and seek to make new things in this way when around us we have a you know biodiversity sort of collapse and yet we're striving to make new life forms that will potentially best serve us so again it gets more complex as well how could we use these technologies if, if we want to use them for good to actually protect other life forms and in so doing actually protect ourselves and the world that we live in Dakai, uh, professor of computer science if alexandra is perhaps all for redesigning nature, uh, if that's right. You're trying to create algorithms that predict our own human nature. Is, is that a fair description? So uh, I think it's fair insofar as uh, language uh, and closely related music are the things that define humanity. I mean, these are basically the only things that we do better than all other species. Uh, we don't run faster, we don't swim better. We, we kind of we kind of suck as a species, except for our ability to frame things using languages. And, and that gives us an ability to, to think abstract thoughts uh, and, and to reason. So in that sense, yes. But the question is, what is that language? Right? If, you've, if you've used things like Google Translate or Baidu Translate or Yahoo Translate and Microsoft Translate, uh, so many years ago, I, I pioneered this. I built the first such thing and, and developed machine learning algorithms for these. And the model for doing that was very much, how do children learn language? Children learn language not monolingually. They learn language because they're listening to what their parent is saying, and then they're correlating that with a visual representation of their environment. Well, you can do that if by correlating what your parent is saying with, uh, say, a Chinese representation of the environment. And this is fundamental to what makes us human, is our ability to reinterpret, to reframe uh, something that is in one representation, one language, into something that's more actionable, some language that's more useful. And so, really, to me, AI is not so much about creating uh, you know, other beings. Yes, we can do that. But it's really more about understanding ourselves and about extending ourselves. You know, today, already, even with those weak forms of AI we have, 
I have already offloaded a great deal of what used to be my cognitive load onto that machine. I no longer memorize phone numbers, which I used to be spectacular at. I have no idea where I am because I'm relying <laughs> on the Maps uh, apps, um, yeah, and without that, alone. I'm lost. And so what we're doing is we're really seeing AI as an amplification of ourselves, as an augmentation of ourselves that can help us uh, with the rest of our cognitive load to be much better versions of ourselves. And the cautionary note there is just, it's an amplifier of all things human the bad along with the good. And, and that is where I think a lot of the ethics issues that I'm working on these days uh, are, are trying to raise awareness of and also develop AI to not fall into that trap. I want to come back uh, eventually to the ethics of uh, AI uh, in a moment. But I want to go to Alexandra Deschamps-Oncino first. Um, Alexandra uh, is an industrial and interaction design expert. Um, you're all about making our lives easier. Uh, Alexandra, I think is fair to say. How is AI likely to change our lives in our homes? We see a lot of applications trying to, in a sense, militarize the home space, putting sensors everywhere in the home in order to guess whether grandma will fall off a bed or something will happen to her in the middle of the night. And actually, perhaps investing in care and in-home care is a better solution and will give us less false positives and will make our relationship to that person um, actually more rounded. There are now some devices, some smart devices, that can even warn you about early signs of disease. Those are um, really part of a, a large group of technologies that are there to look at weak signals. And that is from anything from the insurance sector, looking at how you live and how you use appliances or how much you might be um, coming in and out of the house and how many security cameras you've invested in. And so those weak signals are being used as ways of saying, we think something's going to come up. Maybe not now, maybe in 10 years, but suddenly we start to profile you based on the objects and devices that you use, but the things that you have in your home now. Wow, incredible. Um, let's go to Professor Aldo Faisal from Imperial College. Uh, welcome, Professor. Um, most lay people don't really understand AI. Uh, and when I talk about most lay people, I'm really speaking personally, uh, to be fair. But is the danger that AI can understand uh, humans better than perhaps we understand ourselves? The AI field is very much focused on AI for AI's sake. And by that, I mean mimicking abilities of humans to perceive information. You know, looking at a cancer scan, spotting a cancer. Looking at a traffic situation, understanding if it's dangerous. This is all perceptual abilities we're talking about. Where it becomes critical is once you have a human and an AI in the loop that need to interact. Consider a self-driving car will need to interact with other self-driving cars, but at some point, you will need to interact with a pedestrian. And so now you have a loop of interaction between human and machine, and you need to understand not just the machine, the machine needs to understand the human at a level, and in a way, that a human would reason about a human. Part of the concern with AI is that it's difficult to determine what the ethical framework around it should look like. Professor Shafi Ahmed picks up our discussion by talking about how he views AI as a healthcare professional. So we were discussing a little earlier, um, Days and I, about the whole concept of intuition, about this kind of empathy that we have as physicians, for example, and that kind of deeper understanding of human behaviour 
to understand responses that are applicable and appropriate at the right time. That's an interesting concept. In terms of where we are to avoid some of the issues that people worry about, is that we have to take control of that journey. Algorithms are great, computer science are wonderful, and it's amazing to be around them, but as clinicians and as human beings, we need to control that journey. Say, look, we know where we're going, we're in charge of our destiny, we know how powerful these things can be, but we as humans should shape that future together to ensure we don't fall down the wrong path or enable things to become too powerful or inappropriate for us. And that's our responsibility individually and collectively. That's what I think. Um, I'm going to go to each of you now and ask, uh, starting with you, Shafi, and then going along to Professor Isaac, Aldo. Uh, have you come across in, in your work with AI either um, a wow uh, moment or a ho 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 moment? Uh, is it good or bad? Uh, both. Um, the wow moment, of course, is getting the diagnosis correct very quickly at almost 100% sensitivity and specificity, which is like wow factor. Um, the crazy thing, of course, is that saying, oh, when you talked about earlier about could I be replaced, that's the worrying factor. So I thought I was kind of invincible as a surgeon, but actually I see myself being augmented. So I take that replacement now to reassure myself that I, my practice will be augmented and improved by the use of technology and AI in particular. That's how I reassure myself. Dakai. I think uh, those moments come when you find something that explains, that converges mysteries in science, uh, technical challenges, and uh, the social impact on humanity. I mean, when we were looking at how machines can learn to relate different languages, uh, you know, linguists have puzzled over human language for a very long time and asked what is universal amongst all human languages. And I think one of the main aha moments was to realize it is, there, it's not what's universal about human languages. Really, it's what's universal about relationships between human languages. And that led, actually, not to get into the technical weeds, to uh, mathematical formalisms that explain long-standing mysteries that linguists had been puzzling over for 50 years. Why do all languages have four core arguments per predicate, that sort of thing? Well, it's because humans have to be able to learn and interpret efficiently. And those are things that I think we are still struggling in the field of AI to actually do because all the, all the modern uh, systems that you're hearing, people pulling off the shelf toolkits, whether they're deep learning systems or GANs and so forth, are still failing to do what a three-year-old child does. What a three-year-old child does is they're able to, you know, think about a, a trans, web translation AI or uh, a dialogue assistant. We're training them on trillions of words of data and more. A human child, by the time they turn four, have, they've mastered their mother tongue, having heard um, at most maybe 15 million words. So you're talking about squaring the number of tr uh, words of training data that you need to get our current AIs to learn. And you have to actually then throw massive amounts of compute power at that as well, which the child doesn't have to do. So the aha moments come from from a cognitive science point of view, from a study of human learning point of view, how do we actually get to the heart of what makes us human? That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. The Agenda with Stephen Cole airs every Saturday on CGTN Europe. You can also find us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube.
the most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.